Fantastic. We're moving into chapter three of our wisdom book. Now, you may have seen, if you flicked ahead in your Bibles, there's 12 chapters in Ecclesiastes, and uh, we're not going to have the time and space to explore every chapter uh, in, in this talk and the talk tomorrow. So, uh, we're looking at chapters 1, 2, and 3, and we're also going to look at chapters 11 and 12 tomorrow. Um, but I do encourage you uh, to maybe read through the whole book uh, yourself, especially with that, maybe that framework of, of gift versus gain, and also with that framework of understanding this kind of uh, opening refrain, Havel, uh, mist and vapour, things don't last and things are hard to understand. Um, it's interesting uh, noticing um, that kind of comment this morning about us being distracted and getting distracted easily. Um, I experienced that this morning. I woke up and um, there's no, I have no service on my phone. And um, I, I noticed that because, you know, all these stupid things. I woke up and the first thing is like, oh, I want to check how my sleep was. And so I go to my phone because it measures it on my watch and I'm like, it won't line up. And I felt really rested. So I assume I slept well, but I guess if your phone doesn't tell you you sleep well, did you actually sleep well? <laughs> so I just had to go, I trust that I slept well, even though I can't see my cycle and, you know. And then um, I went to check, uh, I went to check the, um, I mean, I, I'm not really into this, but I'm getting into it to get to know some staff at school. I'm in a, a fantasy league for NFL and so I went to check, like, how I'm going in that. And it's like, oh, no internet. It's like, I can't get... And then I just had to lie there. And so I just lied there in bed. And I went... And this is what I was talking to Graham Michelle this morning. I'm like, it's really quiet. And it was, it was beautiful. It, it, was, it was interesting. I actually had this idea this morning. I think you can inhabit quietness. Because it was so quiet that I just... I actually kind of felt it in a really beautiful way. And I just sort of lay there in bed, um, and it was a beautiful moment. But that was only because my usual distraction couldn't get access to the internet, so I had to actually put it to one side, and then there was a beautiful moment. So um, I think there are all these little experiences, daily experiences we can have, and Ecclesiastes wants to just nudge us in that direction. Um, it does present us, as we look this morning, with a bold and honest look into life and meaning. And uh, it's a little unsettling, as we uh, looked at this morning, because it asks questions that we, we often hope to ignore. We don't want to ask certain questions that Ecclesiastes asks. We just want to get on with things. Um, but we're introduced this morning, just a bit of a recap, to the teacher in chapter 1. Uh, he notices that everything in life is Havel, so we've got our little living illustration next to us here. Uh, mist and vapour, things do not last and things are hard to understand. And his focus question right up front, chapter 1, what does a person gain from all their toil? Uh, it is the nature of wisdom literature to confuse us, to unsettle us, to shake us up. Uh, but whilst that is the nature of wisdom literature, its purpose is quite different. Its purpose is to lead you and I into true wisdom. Uh, into beautiful lives, and that actually involves a fear of the Lord. True wisdom, beautiful lives, a fear of the Lord. Now, like a well-designed snow globe is a thing of beauty. It's got to be shaked to experience that magic. So it is with Ecclesiastes. So if you're not, if you're not shaken a little bit by Ecclesiastes as you read it, um, you may actually miss its power. 
It's okay to be a little confused and unsettled as we meditate on the wisdom literature. And this morning, the teacher considered the beauty of God's creation with all its offensively inefficient cycles and rhythms. And he observed that our desperate attempts at gain are diluted by the fantastical belief that we can, in fact, control our world and our lives. But now, the teacher moves his thoughts in chapter 3 to consider our relationship with time. Our relationship with time. I think we have a fascination with time, don't we? Back to the Future, the classic 80s trilogy that took the world by storm. Uh, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. It was trash, but it was beautiful trash. Uh, Sliding Doors, Gwyneth Paltrow, classic. Uh, Groundhog Day, Bill Murray lives the same day over and over again. Uh, Midnight in Paris, what, what if you could go back to Paris in the 50s? Um, humans, you and I, I think we have this fascination with time. Uh, and I think in our younger years, that fascination is often one of joy and anticipation. Uh, perhaps as we get older, that fascination retains some of the youthful characteristics, but also it includes pain and regret and confusion. I wonder how would you describe your relationship with time? Some of us are consumed by it. Uh, some of us never think about it. Uh, could it be that finding meaning through connection with our eternal God uh, changes our whole view of time, how we spend it? Or perhaps we stop thinking about time in economic units and see it as something we receive rather than spend. Uh, there's this great frustration and tension that the teacher in Ecclesiastes raises for us, and so we're going to begin with that, and it's there in verses uh, 10 and 11. He says, I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. Uh, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. God has made everything beautiful in its time, but for us, we experience frustration. Uh, there has been tomes of literature written about what it means to have eternity set in the human heart. Uh, in the context of this chapter, I think it may refer to the reality that God has created each one of us with the capacity to imagine that there is a future but he hasn't actually filled our imagination with content. So you and I seem to be able to conceptualize the future with far greater clarity perhaps than other creatures on our planet, but it's tough for us because we have to live in the present. And we can imagine the future, but we can't actually know the future. And so what does this do for us? Well, for many of us, perhaps, we put our energy towards worrying about the future. Is that not a common experience? And I'm not sure if you've considered this, but worry, perhaps, is a way that you and I seek to control the uncontrollable. Um, it gives us the sense that we are doing something. I'm doing something. I'm worrying. 
And that can sort of itch the scratch uh, we all have to be in control. But where does worry leave us? Um, Well, for some of us, we're just left with a frustrating feeling that we've just wasted an hour of our life worrying. For others, we're left paralysed. We might lose days, we might lose weeks, sometimes even years, as we direct the energy of our lives into worrying. It's interesting that Jesus himself picks up on this topic of worry. Uh, Matthew records Jesus saying, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about the body, what you will wear. Is not your life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Uh, Look at the birds of the air, they do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you much more valuable than they? Can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow worry about self. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's interesting that Jesus invites us into a life that is present in the moment, rather than distracted by the future. And how is this even possible? Uh, Well, because Jesus says you have a heavenly Father who does know the future, and He is both good and He is trustworthy. Jesus speaks into this frustration with a concept of time that the teacher in Ecclesiastes actually introduces us to in the narrative of the Scriptures. And perhaps a way forward for us, who live with an awareness of time and future, but no control over it, is also found in the opening of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So the teacher writes uh, that there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens. The poem in chapter 3, quite famous, I guess you could say, presents a series of polar opposites. It's the poetic technique. Uh, And it's doing this to include everything, (laughs) all things. Uh, So from from this extreme to that extreme, and you'd imagine everything in between. Uh, So the opening pair sets up your life. There is a time to be born, and there is a time to die. And then there are 13 examples of everything else that may happen in the space of our lives. Uh, Some days we are planting We are planting seedlings, Uh, we're planting hopes, ideas, perhaps we're planting friendships. Other days, we're uprooting. We're uprooting that old fern, or that idea that never really took, or uprooting our home and relocating. Some days, we're killing. We're killing weeds, we're killing insects, we're killing bacteria with our spray and wipe. Uh, But other days, we're healing. We're healing with resuscitation, with our doctor's wisdom, with cups of hot chicken soup. Uh, Some days we're mourning. We're mourning the loss of a friend or a family member. Uh, We're mourning the loss of a dream or a job, a hope, a passion. And then other days we're dancing at the news of a new job or a friend's engagement or the start of a weekend. 
Whilst many of us want our lives to represent an upward linear equation, a straight line that just gets better and better and better, the teacher reminds us that we live in a cyclical world. There are seasons of nature and there are seasons of life. And this is true. If this is true, do you think it might change our relationship with time? Rather than asking, what can I do next to control my future, my upwardly mobile Rather than asking that question, and in doing so, perhaps be filled with worry and frustration, wouldn't we ask, what season am I in right now? And therefore, what is apt for this season? See, one is trying to control my upwardly mobile life, and the other is seeking to receive the season in which I find myself. I think Ecclesiastes, and in fact, all the wisdom literature, Proverbs as well, uh, introduce us to this idea of aptness and timing. Not what do I want to do right now, but what could I do or say in this moment that would make it beautiful? That's aptness, timing. Uh, Proverbs 12.11 says this, the right word spoken at the right time is as beautiful as gold apples in a silver bowl. Now, I don't know many times that I've seen gold apples in a silver bowl, (laughs) but I have experienced the beauty of well-timed words. And it can indeed make all the difference. Just as untimely words can be so destructive. So, if everything is beautiful in its time... And there are seasons for everything in our life. Couldn't the right approach to time be one which looks for aptness and beauty rather than just efficiency and productivity? You may have planned with your family or your housemate or a friend to clean the house together when you get home from work because it really was a mess and you haven't had any time to clean it up. But On returning home, you find the other person is really upset because of something that had happened during the day. And even though you had planned to clean the house, the timing for that now just seems way out of place. The beautiful thing might be to say, let's pause on the cleanup and just spend the evening having a nice dinner and relaxing. Because that's actually what's needed in the moment. Uh, Of course, those of us with kids or demanding bosses or or uh, demanding parents who uh, need our care, we might say, well, that's all nice and well, Craig, but I don't live a life where I can just decide what to do every second of the day. Um, And that is true for many of us. It's true for all of us. Um, But I don't think aptness and timing is all about just doing whatever I want. Indeed, doing whatever I want often leads us to missing what will make the moment beautiful. You know, there, there is a time for work, and there is a time for rest, what would make our work beautiful in its time? What would make our rest beautiful in its time? I found this particularly confronting. Uh, It's it's interesting when you get to um, reflect and give talks and share ideas from the Bible with other people, because um, you have to think about it a lot yourself, and it's also quite revealing um, in your own life, or hopefully it is, um, as you you teach and share with others. Um, And I found this particularly difficult because 
uh, recently through a range of different things that um, Naomi and I have experienced, and I've had to reflect upon my own life and my own approach to it. And it was actually just last week, um, we were in a, a counselling session together, and uh, it dawned on me that um, I have sort of categorised my whole life into a bunch of tasks. Um, I, I'd never used to be this way when I was sort of 20, 21, 22, but now I am incredibly task-driven. And I actually categorise everything in my day into tasks. And it's really good because I have this sense of movement and meaning and uh, I know where I am and what's coming next. But in fact, what's actually happened to me is everything in my life is now a task. Um, not just work, but also relationship, also leisure. Everything, I'm task-focused. And um, whilst that is incredibly efficient, and I'm actually quite good at getting things done, um, the, the fruit of that approach has been um, a genuine loss of engagement with life. And um, I don't know if I've had fun for a long time. And it, it, it's, it's been a real wrestle for me because it's like, why am I not actually enjoying things? And it's literally just dawned on me in the last week and also reflecting on Ecclesiastes is that I've just turned everything into a task. And it, you don't have enjoyment in doing tasks, you just do them because you have to. Um, and I've lost this aspect of aptness and timing because I've just seen everything as just something to do next. But Ecclesiastes speaks in to my life and says, you actually can't structure your life that way. Aspects of that will be helpful. Perhaps certain things in your work or certain... But you can't structure your whole life that way. Relationships can't be structured as tasks. Engagement with others can't be structured as tasks. There is aptness. Sometimes we have to loosen up a little bit and just say, what is right for this moment? And then pursue that. And that is the beautiful thing to do in relation to the time. Of course, something that might make searching for aptness and beauty difficult is that deep desire to control time. Not just on a day-to-day -day level, but perhaps a little more globally, uh, to wrestle against the seasons that we find ourselves in. Earlier, we heard Jesus teach that we have a Heavenly Father who does know the future and He is both good and trustworthy. But don't we face times and seasons where we doubt this? It's natural to accept that God is behind the good experiences of life, but often we feel He couldn't be behind the bad experiences. We've got to resist those, don't we? Or complain about them, or try and get out of them. But what if they actually are from God? Or at least He's big enough to use them for good. And they are the moment He has given us. The sadness, or the loss, the mourning. And you are trying to resist that, rather than be in it. Sometimes we aren't at peace with the moment, and so we envy and Ecclesiastes chapter 4 picks up on this. Or we find ourselves trapped in the past. Ecclesiastes 7.10 says, Do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it's not wise to ask such questions. And I encourage the parish council to consider that. <laughs> Every church council. 
be present in the moment. Let's look at what we have now. Let's be excited and move forward. We resist the sovereign hand of God who is managing and ordering and directing the time of our lives. Perhaps it's common for humans to long for the past or grumble about the present because it's a perennial human problem to dare to believe that the messy, difficult, challenging lives we live really have come from the hand of a God who claims to love us. The book of Ecclesiastes, like Proverbs and like Job, has a radical view of the sovereignty of God, the way God does stand behind both good things and bad things. The book is so disturbing, Ecclesiastes, in this regard, that you can understand why some people have dismissed it as overstatement at best and heresy at worst. And of course, the Bible has a whole story to tell about why our lives can be so difficult. But let's hear these verses of Scripture. If we come to accept that the details of our lives have come to us from God Himself, then perhaps we can be a little less driven, a little less worried, a little less desperate to change everything. It opens up the possibility of peacefulness, uh, perhaps even joy. The challenge, of course, is to trust in the hidden goodness of God. Interesting that Jesus, whose core message was about the coming kingdom of God in the future, and the future that He has secured for us, tells us, do not worry about tomorrow. Indeed, Jesus brings us a much clearer picture of the future than the teacher in Ecclesiastes has. Uh, with His resurrection, Jesus shows that there is indeed life beyond the grave. Uh, and he answers the teacher's question in verse 21, where he says, Who knows if the human spirit rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down into the earth? Well, through Christ, we have the answer to that musing from the teacher in Ecclesiastes. But even with the certainty of what Jesus has secured for us, there is still the temptation to keep that in some spiritual compartment of your life and in the day-to-day still seek to control what is to come. And so, interestingly, James, post the resurrection, he sounds very much like Jesus when he writes this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this city or that city and we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, we'll make money. Why? You, don't, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist, Havel, which appears for a little while and then vanishes. The future matters, sure, and it shapes the present. But God controls the future and not us. So we can't worry about the future because we can't change the future. Our job is to be faithful in the present. Hence, the teacher says in verse 12, I know that there's nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. James says that we 
or to say, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. But what we shouldn't do is boast and brag, because all such boasting is evil. Do you notice in all this language that time itself is something we receive from the hand of a loving God? And thus, it's not ours to control or redirect, but to be thankful for and to seek God's work within the time that He has given us. Uh, It's profound to note that the teacher's observation as to why God has given us such a tumultuous relationship with time, why don't I know everything about my life in the future, is in verse 14. He says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it, nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear Him. Jesus says, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. So, you can boast and brag or you can centre your plans on God's will, hidden and strange though it may be. It's true that time, I think, is both a fascination for us, uh, back to the future and all the what-ifs that Marty McFly introduced, uh, as well as time being a great burden for us, the regrets or the pain or the fear of it running out. And yet, could it be that in relationship to the God who is over all time, who knows that which is in front of us and promises to use all things to make us more like His Son, Jesus, we could shift our worrisome relationship with time to one that perhaps is a little more hope-filled, a little more expectant of the hand of God, a little more peaceful. very interesting, often in Christian circles, uh, you hear this kind of question about, you know, what is God's will for my life? And uh, it can be a very consuming question. What is God's will for my life? I'm thinking of moving house. What is God's will for that? I'm thinking of changing jobs. What's God's will for my new job? I'm thinking of, what is God's... And actually, this question, what is God's will for my life, can become terribly burdensome. What if I get it wrong? What if I choose to move into number 14, but God wanted me to move into number 20? There is a beautiful message in God's Word, and that is He's very clear about what His will for your life is. And His will for your life is this, that you, over a lifetime might become more like His Son, Jesus. And that is a deep internal change that flows out. And it's a lifetime journey. It's not a five-year gig. It's not a 12-year gig. It's an 80-year gig. It's a gig that doesn't even finish until Jesus finally returns. But if you want to know the will of God for you moving forward, it's that you may become more like Jesus that you may love God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and you can love your neighbour as yourself and you can grow in ways of doing that. Your heart becomes more humble. Uh, Your thinking becomes more directed by God and His Word. 
And the beautiful thing about that is if you know that that is God's will for your life, you can go move into number 14. doesn't matter. Uh, you can take this job over that job, as long as that job doesn't direct you away in any way from growing in the knowledge of Jesus or loving others. And it actually sets you free to say that even when life is difficult, perhaps God may be able to use this to make me more like Jesus. Uh, we had this mantra at uh, the church I used to um, serve, and uh, the mantra was this, that God is present in the mess. And we had that mantra, God is present in the mess, because we believe that God, because of what Romans 8 tells us, God uses all things for the good of those who love Him. And then you have to read another verse to say, well, how does He use everything for good? And the Apostle Paul says, He uses everything for good to conform us into the likeness of His Son. And so because of that, if God's Word is true in that, it opens up the opportunity that He can be present in the mess. And that even this difficult season might actually lead to you growing in humility or love or understanding of God's Word. There's a beautiful psalm about time, Psalm 90. Uh, it considers God's eternal nature with our finite lives. And it cries out, Teach us to number our days, Lord, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And I think that's the prayer of the teacher in Ecclesiastes, uh, as it is our great wisdom teacher, Lord and Saviour Jesus, uh, that we may not resist the seasons that God gives us, but we may look for His hand to be at work, and that perhaps we could even shift our relationship with time from something that we seek to control and gain to something perhaps that we receive and look where God is at work. So I'm going to uh, pray and ask that God will be, do will be doing that. It's His promise and we trust in His promises. So let me pray for us now. Um, our dear Lord and loving Heavenly Father, Uh, we thank you for the gift of time. Uh, we thank you for the gift of seasons. We thank you, Lord, that uh, in your goodness, um, you are over time and you are even over our future. Lord, we thank you that ultimately you have secured our long-term future. Our inheritance is secure through the resurrection of your son, Jesus, and his death for our sins. But Lord, we pray that in the moment of each and every day, you may help us to worry a little less, to look for aptness and timing, and to have the wisdom to know how to receive our lives from you and consider where you are at work to make us more like your son, Jesus. Now, Lord, this is difficult, so we need your help and we need each other's help as a family. So we pray that you will guide us in this direction and that you may give us joy as we live in your world and wait on your timing. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.